This week on Developer Weekly. And I've, I find a lot of JavaScript developers, they feel more at home with Vue or React. And I see a lot of uh, more server-side developers, say uh, .NET or Java developers, who are more at home with Angular because that's more like the big framework they're used to. Hey guys, I've been using Windows 10 for years now and I recently took the time to learn how to be more productive with it. There are lots of shortcuts and tools in Windows 10 that help me throughout the day. Do you also want to be more productive with Windows 10? Then check out my new Udemy course called Windows 10 Productivity Booster. You can check it out at azureberry.com windows. That is azureberry.com windows. Welcome to another episode of Developer Weekly. This week I'm talking with Maurice de Bayer about React. Maurice is a software consultant and trainer specializing in JavaScript, React, and ASP.NET Core. Hey, Maurice. How are you? Hi, Barry. Nice to be here. Good to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you very much for, for being on the show. As a fellow uh, Dutchman, uh, people might hear our accents here. And I hope yeah, people don't Yeah, that's always mind. a dead giveaway, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But hey, you know, it's... Uh, at least it's it's some kind of English. So, <laughs> well, I should think most people will be able to understand us well enough. And it's not perfect. It's not native, but it's good enough for most. Cases. <laughs> yeah. So you are uh, kind of an expert in React, right? Can you yes. maybe explain to the audience what React is? Okay, so that's a bit of an open-ended question. Uh, React, if you look at the website, it says it's a library for building user interfaces. And that's kind mm. of vague. You can say uh, that with a lot of stuff. But React is basically designed to build user interfaces in web applications as well as native applications to some degree. But I'll focus on web for now. So we're talking about browser-based mm -hmm. applications, typically built either in JavaScript or TypeScript. And using those, you build up components and components can have child components. They render child components as they call it, can pass data down, um, maybe callback functions, that kind of stuff. But with a tree of components, you build up your whole application. So React kind of specializes in building that tree of components. Ah, and then you say in web-based applications. So a web-based application consists out of HTML, JavaScript, and CSS, typically. Yeah, in the Then end. React also spits out HTML as well. Yeah, uh, it doesn't exactly spit out HTML. Um, what it does is when you create a component, it turns it into uh, what they call a virtual DOM, which is kind of an object representation of what should be displayed in the document object model of the browser. And then after that's mm -hmm. done, React takes that and compares it to the real uh, document object model and applies the differences. So you might start out with an empty diff mm -hmm. element saying, this is my application. And then your React component might yeah. say, well, that should contain, let's say, an H1 header and a list and that, uh, say, an unordered list. And that unordered list should contain a number of list item elements, which should contain maybe uh, a person's name. And then React comes in and says, right. well, I've got yeah. an empty element. It should contain all of these things. Okay, I'm going to add them. 
Right, and it does that then dynamically. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't produce HTML. It actually produces DOM elements in the browser directly. Now, that is a bit of an uh, oversimplification oh, okay. because there is this thing called server-side rendering where React can actually produce an HTML string, but in most cases, it's in the client and directly creating DOM elements. Oh, okay. Oh, wow, that complicates the story then. So you say it is uh, a thing that can run on the client and it can also run on the server. So there's also a server-side version of React, is that right? Not really a server-side version of React, but when you have a component tree in React, normally in the browser, what you do is you render it against the document object model in the browser. And that directly manipulates that document object model and items appear. But on the server, you can use React, and that's the same library, not a different library, but use the same library. And instead of rendering it to DOM object, you can say render it either into a big string or into a node stream, so you can stream it down to the client. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, Pure React supports that. Uh, you don't need anything else, but it's also, well, very rudimentary, a little hard to use there. So what most people do, if they want to do this on the server, they actually start using a framework called Next.js, and that's kind of specialized in using React on the server and on the client as well. So your initial render is on the server. It renders it to a big string that's returned as HTML to the browser. The browser loads that up just as it would any static HTML page or maybe generated using ASP.NET MVC or whatever server-side technology you'd like to use. After that, it still boots up React in the client and uh, any interaction there is handled locally as a normal running React application in the browser. So you kind of get both. Hmm, interesting. So it doesn't really need to uh, be run in HTML, right? So it, it can work with HTML and web-based applications, but it could then also work in other types of applications. Yes. Um, there are some interesting examples. If you go and search on the web, there are, for instance, uh, React renderings to an HTML canvas object where it paints on the mm-hmm. canvas. Um, I think that's pretty experimental, but it's out there. Um, there is a library, I, for, I forgot the name, but there is a library out there where you, can, where you can use React to create console applications in JavaScript. So Node.js uh-huh. console application, one of those utilities, which is actually driven by React. And you use console.log and stuff like that. And uh, I.O. there to read input from the user. Not a typical use case for React, oh, but pretty cool. all of that's possible. And you write this, well, your components yeah. are, of course, going to be different, but it's the same style of components you write. Okay. And uh, so how does it relate to JavaScript? Do you need to work with JavaScript with React? Yes. Uh, well, at least in some way you do. Uh, it doesn't need to be JavaScript itself. It could be TypeScript, but... TypeScript is a superset of JavaScript. So if you're writing TypeScript, you're still writing JavaScript and it compiles down to JavaScript Mm -hmm. in the browser. But if you think of a React component, um, it's basically either a function or an HTML, sorry, not an HTML, a JavaScript class. Now, nowadays, it's usually a function and that returns what they call JSX or 
Um, if you look at it, it actually looks like there is HTML inside your JavaScript, but that gets compiled into calls to uh, react.createElement. But it is written in JavaScript with those extensions, and that turns into your actual React code. So yes, JavaScript is very much a part of it. Right. And it also has interactions with JavaScript, I guess, right? Where you can uh, use JavaScript to then write, of course, React things, but also where React can then interact with JavaScript itself and maybe call JavaScript. Yeah. Like, for instance, React says, well, we're about doing UI components. Um, If Mm. you want to load some data from a server, you need to do an AJAX request. Well, React says, well, that's not typically UI. You use whatever you want to use in your JavaScript. So use the fetch API, or maybe you want to use something like Axios. Mm. You just use the fetch API as you would in any other JavaScript application. You want to use local storage? Well, you just access window.local storage, uh, get something from there, set something in there. No different. So just regular JavaScript in that regard. That's great because that means that you can use all the modern tools basically that JavaScript already offers. Yes, that is really nice. And React is an it's an open source library, right? It's a package that you can download and install. Yes. Um, technically speaking, it's two packages. There is React and React DOM. Um, well, and React Native if we go there. But for the browser, it's React and React DOM. Uh, those two are always used together. And they're basically open source packages created by a team in Facebook and open source contributors on the web. And anyone can contribute to that. You need to sign a license, but once you've done that, you're good to go. Right. And then it's been created by Facebook. Uh, Do they still maintain it or, or own it in any way? Um, well, it's open source, so I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I think that means technically no one really owns it uh, because it's mm. like it's on GitHub. Uh, anyone can clone that repository and it's got a standard MIT license, which is really permissive. So if I clone oh. the React source code and I want to call it my super duper Reacty thingy and I do a good job of selling that, then I can just do that. Right, so they basically, they gifted this to the community. Yeah. Um, They're still actively working on it. There is a core team working on React, and that's actually paid for by Facebook. Uh, They're partly in the US, partly in the UK. The London office of Facebook has a number of React uh, core team members. And uh, um, where is it? In Silicon Valley in the US near uh, San Francisco, they've also got a number of contributors there. But of course, there are a lot of open source contributors as well. But the main developers are employed by Facebook. Okay. That's always good to have like a big corporation with uh, some money and some uh, resources behind a a framework like that because then you're you're kind of certain that it probably won't go away anytime soon, right? Yeah, because Facebook has built a lot of their own uh, infrastructure, like the Facebook website, Instagram, uh, all of that's built on top of React. So they've got an interest in maintaining it and making sure it stays alive. Uh, Yeah. All right. So why would you use React? Like there are many other ways to create a user interface, right? Even with plain HTML, for instance. Why would you use React for that? Yeah, well, 
you're right. You could use plain HTML and the DOM. Uh, you could use jQuery for that matter. It used to be really popular mm-hmm. and it, it was yeah. really good. Uh, well, it still is good, but the problem it solves has gone away a bit. I guess React is in some regards lucky that it came at the right time. Um, if we go back a number of years, we had AngularJS, which was really popular. Um, that kind of helped a lot of web developers make larger applications, myself included. And then they announced that they would ship a completely new version of Angular, uh, Angular 2, uh, not backward compatible. But that took them a long, long time to ship that first version. In the meantime, you have this fear, uncertainty, and doubt uh, time. Well, we know AngularJS is going to be replaced by something. We don't know what. And then that's the kind of period where React shipped uh actually they were using it already internally at facebook but they open sourced it and made it available and it was relatively simple to use like even today if you look at the react api it's not a huge api it's relatively simple and you can learn the basic api in a few days there isn't that much to it of course there are lots of nuances best practices things like that so to become an expert takes a bit longer, but to get started doesn't take that long. And you can do a decent application with a, just a one-day course. In fact, I teach React courses, and after the first module, so the first morning, I basically tell the people from, okay, if you want to build a React application, you know everything you need to know to build a React application. Is it going to be the best? No. Do you know everything you need to know? No. But you know enough to get started and build. <laughs> so it was easy to get started with. Uh, people were looking at a replacement for AngularJS where the Angular 2 wasn't available yet. There was competition there, things like Ember, etc., cetera, uh, which had been around, but wasn't that popular. So React kind of took off there. And they kind of kept on growing and growing, even though there's some pretty good and popular competition out there. Like today we have Vue or things like that, Svelte, which are really popular. But React just keeps on growing and growing and becoming more popular. And it's kind of, well, I wouldn't say the dominant client-side framework at the moment, but it's certainly pretty dominant. So is there anything specifically very different about React than, for instance, about uh, another client-side framework like Vue? Or is it do they do kind of the same thing? Yeah, Vue, Vue and React are similar. Like the implementation of things are, are different. The API is different, but they have a similar paradigm. You create components, child components, uh, and you add additional functionality by adding npm packages from different authors. Vue is a bit more inclusive. They include a bit more out of the box than with React. React team is even more like, okay, we do the core things and all the other stuff is provided by external uh, things. But they both, they embrace JavaScript and the open philosophy of the web, the component-based module. So pretty similar. Now, if you start comparing React with Angular, um, it's a little different. Angular has a quite a different philosophy. Mm-hmm. It's much more the complete box. Um, where React says um, we're focusing on one thing, which is making UI components and building your 
component tree into an application. Angular says, well, we'll let you do that, but we'll also give you dependency injection. We'll provide you with classes to do HTTP requests, modify cookies, uh, do routing, whatever you want to do. Um, so it's much more a complete solution with everything where React says, well, that's not UI. You want to do an HTTP request, fine, but just use Fetch or Axios or whatever you prefer. Where the Angular team says, no, we're going to provide you with guidance there, with classes to work with, etc., and do things. Which can be good, because if you go to the Angular website, you've got a much completer solution on how to do things. And they've got a big style guide with guidance on you You shall do this and you shall do that. They're very opinionated on that. Where, where the React team says, well, mm. here's the API, um, have fun. And there are good practices, bad practices, but to a large degree, they're made up by the community. And of course, you know, if you've got 10 developers in a room and you ask them for an opinion on the subject, you'll get at least 11 opinions. So with Angular, that's <laughs> a little more controlled yeah. by the Angular team and they provide much more. But the result is Angular is further away from the standard web. Like there are lots of NPM packages you could use with React or Vue or anything like that, which won't easily work with Angular because it doesn't fit into their framework. It has to be done the Angular way. So quite different there. Right. So essentially these client-side frameworks, they help you to speed up development because they just take away some of the things that you need to do yourself instead of creating everything with plain vanilla JavaScript and HTML. And then the choices between, let's say, Vue, React, and Angular and others is more of kind of what you need and how prescriptive you want it to be. Where Angular, for instance, has everything and they uh, need you to use it in a very certain way. And React says, well, we just do this one thing and we do it very well. Yeah. And you can use other things for, for the rest of your requirements, really. That's yeah. pretty cool. It is. And that's... Well, that appeals to different developers. So one likes mm. one way of doing it, the other likes the other. And that's the good thing with the web. You can choose whatever philosophy works best for you. Exactly. And I've, I find a lot of JavaScript developers, they feel more at home with Vue or React. And I see a lot of uh, more server-side developers, say uh, .NET or Java developers, who are more at home with Angular because that's more like the big framework they're used to. But in the end, they all build the application oh, they need yeah. to build and they get it done. They just do it in a different way. Exactly. In the end, it's all forms over data. <laughs> well, it's all well the same not everything. Applications uh, over the, and over the current again. application I'm working <laughs> on is a whiteboarding application. So that's not exactly forms over data. But still, you could have done that uh, with Vue or Angular. We're doing it with React, but... Okay. Oh, that's very cool. That's something uh, something different than uh, most applications. That's very cool. Is there then a specific type of architecture that you use there? For instance, I've heard about the Flux architecture, which is something that you can use with React. What are you using and, and what is the Flux architecture? Yeah, the, the Flux architecture was a result of what happened in the early days of React where people were confused with how to work with data. Um, mm -hmm. In order to, to understand that, you have to know that with a React component, it's very much a 
top-down approach. Uh, you've got a root component which can do things and it can pass data down to its child components using something called a prop. So a prop is, ba if you think of a component as a function, a prop is just a parameter to a function. But unlike a function which has a return value, the return value of a component is the markup it actually renders. So calling a component mm. doesn't actually return anything to the caller. It modifies the browser. So with React, if you want to pass things around, it's always the parent has to pass something down to the child. Uh, and that can be anything which is a valid JavaScript reference, so an object or a function. Which means that if you want to maintain state, modify that state, that has to be owned somewhere high up in a component. It passes it down uh, for child components to render, and it passes callback functions down for child components to actually mutate that state because they can't mutate it directly. In a prop in React, it should always be considered read-only. Technically speaking, it isn't because JavaScript isn't a read-only uh, environment. But <laughs> The way React is set up, you should consider it as such. Now, okay. doing that all manually in your components, passing everything down is really tedious, and you get into something which they call prop drilling, where you basically are passing down props from a parent to a child, and that child doesn't actually care about those props. All it does is pass it down to another child, where eventually someone is going to use it. And you would find that you'd need a bit of data in a component, then you would add it as a prop, and then you would go to its parent and then basically pass it down and work your way up to wherever it was defined. So that was tedious. So there were different solutions for that, but the uh, React team came up with an architecture called the Flux architecture, which basically said, well, you can have any number of stores, which are objects which contain the data. And if you want to modify that data, you dispatch something called an action. And an action is just a fancy word for an object which describes what you want to do. And it typically has a type property. So a type might be, I want to add a new customer. And then there is a payload there uh, that says, okay, this is what the new customer should look like. And then stores subscribe to those actions being dispatched and they can in, uh, modify their internal states. And then they broadcast state changes and React components subscribe to those cha changes and render again. So the result is you don't have to pass down all those props and you can kind of maintain your state outside of your React application where you say, well, I might have a button which adds a new customer. If I click it, it dispatches an action to the store, the store process that uh, updates a state and another component which is interested in the list of customers knows that that's updated and it re-renders with the new customers. So you kind of get stuff which is easier to test, more maintainable. Now, that's kind of the original Flux architecture, which was still quite open. Uh, you could have, could have as many stores as you want to and dispatchers and how it was exactly done. It was kind of left open. But uh, quite a few people made implementations of that. But the 
most popular by far is a library called Redux, which kind of, well, pushed all the others aside and took over as the dominant one. And it took those rules, um, simplified them a bit more. Like with Flux, you could have many stores, but it turned out that store-to-store -store communication uh, started happening and was quite difficult to maintain. So they said, well, you should have a single store. And that store can be quite complex, but there should be a single store, which is the current truth of the application. So there is a single dispatcher to dispatch to that store and a standard way to subscribe to that, etc. So that's used by a lot of applications these days. Like the simple ones will use uh, native state management from React, but more complex quite often use Redux and the Flux pattern there. Ah, okay. That's very cool. Are you using that now yourself for your whiteboard application as well? Uh, in this case, we are using uh, Redux, yeah, but in a lot of cases, uh, I actually use a different library as well, which is the main competitor to Redux, which is called MobX. And that actually uses a very different paradigm. It's based on observables and reactive, etc. But in the case of the whiteboard application, we are using uh, Redux. Okay. And now, so far, we have been talking about... Uh the original plain vanilla React, let's say, a normal React. There's also something called React Native, right? What is that? Yes. It's React, just like the plain uh, vanilla React we were talking about for the browser's document object model, except now it doesn't render for the browser's document object, but it renders as a native Android or iOS application. Or in oh. fact, there are even implementations for Windows application. But it takes the same principles. You still write your components the same way, except they don't render diffs and spans and buttons. Well, they still render buttons, but not HTML buttons. They render <laughs> Android components or iOS components. Oh, that's very cool. And so then when you are creating, a, let's say, an iOS app, then you just use a React Native package specifically for iOS there. Yeah, that's the idea. Okay. And those packages, and also the plain vanilla React package, is that a um, node.js package always? A node package? Yes. If you're developing React applications, the, the tooling tends to be uh, Node.js based. Like React itself is not a Node.js. That's a client-side library that runs in the browser. Mm -hmm. But you typically use tooling because you write what they call JSX. So it kind of looks like you've got HTML in your JavaScript. It isn't. It gets compiled, but you need a compiler for that. And you typically use a compiler called Babel for that. Uh, or TypeScript can do it as well, but mostly Babel is used there. And all of that's Node.js-based tooling. Ah. Okay, so that those are a lot of things. So you might use Babel or TypeScript, for instance. You have the React library itself. Then somewhere also you have some, uh, maybe some HTML or some other uh, artifacts for your, let's say your iOS application. How would you typically go about developing this? Let's say I want to do that on my local development machine. Would I use something like Visual Studio Code? And then what would I install to, to get all of this running? What would I do? 
Well, the, the first thing you need to make sure is that you've got Node.js installed. Uh, mm. Otherwise, all the JavaScript tooling won't run. So go to nodejs.org website, uh, download a recent version. It doesn't need to be the latest, but a recent version of Node.js. Um, you need NPM, the Node Package Manager. Uh, it's not part of Node.js itself. It's a separate organization, but that actually ships with Node.js in most distributions. Like there are a few exceptions there with Linux, but on Windows, Mac, and most Linux distributions, you'll get NPM installed. And with NPM, you can start installing NPM packages. Now, as you noted, you need quite a bit of tooling. Um, there are different ways you can go about that, but if you follow the Facebook team, then you'll use a package called create react app which is used to scaffold out a new react application um, if you want to do server-side rendering you could do the same with next.js um, there are other ways to do it but create react app is uh, a very popular way to do it now you install uh, or you run that you don't actually need to install it you can run that with uh, npx create react app and then your project name and it will scaffold out a basic react application add the react libraries and the react tooling there now the main tooling bit it adds is something called react scripts uh, which is a big wrapper around lots of other things including babel uh, including eslint for uh, static analysis of your source code um and even more but if you don't want to worry about it you just use react scripts and then you can do an npm start and it will fire up things and you'll get a development environment with a local web server which is part of webpack uh, which is also used there like babel is the compiler used and then webpack is the bundler used to turn everything into uh, a few files which you can ship but during development time, you just do npm start. It starts up the Webpack local dev server, which serves your application and triggers, recompiles, and pushes to the browser, etc. for a pretty neat way of developing. Um, uh, you mentioned Visual Studio Code. Um, you don't have to use it, but uh, that is indeed my favorite editor because it's really nice it's fast and there are lots of uh, plugins so it's highly recommended but you don't have to um, some people use webstorm some people use vim or something like that uh, whatever you prefer oh yeah i was kind of wondering what uh, let's say front-end people use for uh, development but visual studio code is definitely very popular there because it basically can do anything and it's very lightweight yeah it starts up fast and it works really well with javascript typescript uh, react style code all right. So React is pretty cool, actually. I didn't know about it. <laughs> Very cool. Well, you should try it sometime. If, if you're doing a, a simple front-end web application, give it a try. It's surprisingly easy to get started with. Yeah, I will, actually. I will try that for my next uh, project. So what do you think is, uh, is the future of React? Is this thing going to be around for, uh, for a long time? I think so. Of course, uh, I can't really predict the future any better than mm -hmm. the next person, but given that so much of Facebook as well as other big companies are built on top of React, uh, it's companies like Netflix, uh, Airbnb, uh, pretty big 
companies mm-hmm. with uh, deep financial pockets. They are heavily invested into React. So I think it's going to stick around for a long time and has a bright future. The React team is pretty much constantly innovating, coming up with new ways of doing things, better ways of doing things. The components I write today are not anything like the components I wrote four or five years ago. Um, The new ones Mm. are better, more efficient, uh, run faster. So the React team keeps coming up with new ways to do things, and I think they will continue doing that. Now, I don't think Facebook is going to drop React, but even if they did, uh, given how many people are using it and how many other big companies are invested in React, I'm sure that the open source community would keep it alive, even if Facebook dropped it. But like I said, I don't see that happening anytime soon because Facebook is very much uh, using React for the well, the big things they're doing. Instagram, the Facebook website. And those are not easy things to migrate mm. to another technology. Okay, very cool. So uh, as we wrap up this uh, episode, where can people go to start learning about React? What's a good resource to start there? Well, I w- would start with the React website, reactjazz.org, I believe it is, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they've got a pretty good uh, a uh, documentation on the API and tutorials there about how to get started. So it's a pretty decent resource. There are some good courses out there on Udemy. Uh, I've got a course on Udemy, but it's a little dated, so I wouldn't call that one of the best resources. But it is out there, and there are other ones which are pretty good out there as well. Um, other sites, uh, I'm not sure about plural site, but I believe they've got uh, React content as well. And just going to YouTube or the web, there are many people doing free content out there, which is actually very good. So there are lots and lots of resources. And of course, there are the normal training companies. Like I do React training part of the time. Um, so I do that for different companies, those kind of trainings. If you're more into classroom style uh, training, that will work. Uh, so plenty of resources, but I would start with the React website. Okay, very cool. I will uh, definitely take a look at uh, React for my next application. Thank you very much for uh, teaching me all about React today. You're welcome and have fun. And I hope to see some cool uh, stuff you do with React in the future. <laughs> I will show you if I, if I make anything with it. Uh, looking forward to it. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next week. Could you please go to ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly and rate this podcast and leave a review. This helps me to spread the word about the podcast and helps other people to find it. That is ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly. Thank you so much. <laughs>